Amen. Wow. Thank you so much. How many of you enjoyed our speaker last week? May I see your hand? You enjoy it. Put your hands together. Joe Gordon did a great, great job. It's wonderful. And uh, this week we have a friend of uh, mine who's been a friend for 200 years, been a friend of Victory Church. His dad was, uh, was uh, Wesley and uh, just Wesley Hurst, a great, great uh, theologian, great uh, preacher and deliverer, writer. Uh, Randy, of course, is with us today. He has, uh, is serving as the advancement director of the Assemblies of God, traveled in more than 100 countries, been a missionary to Samoan Islands on the uh, South Pacific, uh, traveled in Asia Pacific, uh, got a lot of airplane miles, Latin America, Europe, uh, done a f- phenomenal job. Communications director, the point is this, everybody that I know who's been in our particular church You mentioned Randy Hurst. They're going to know who that is because they see his name in print. They see him in books that he's authored. They see him in publications. He he has helped write books for other people. He's just a phenomenal person. This morning, there is a special anointing upon him, and you're going to realize that. I want you to welcome my good friend, Randy Hurst, everybody. Randy, God bless you. Love you, buddy. Take care. Shalom. Right here. Thank you. Well, I am as excited as a three-headed woodpecker to be back at Victory Church. And it's been quite a few years. How many of you believe what God's Word teaches, that our steps are ordered of the Lord? If that's true, you're not here by accident. I'm not here by accident. I have seen In retrospect, having had the privilege of preaching God's Word, as Pastor said, in more than 100 countries, uh, you can look back and see how your steps were ordered in ways you can't see at the time. A number of years ago, I flew all the way to New Zealand, to Auckland, New Zealand, just to preach one Sunday morning service. And it was in the largest church in New Zealand. At the conclusion, I gave a salvation invitation, and just one man stood and came forward and of course, while I was happy that he came, I confess I was a little disappointed because in that size crowd, usually there are many that respond. And uh, two years later, I was back in New Plymouth, and I never forgot about just that one guy coming. And two years later, I was back in New Zealand in the city of New Plymouth in the south part of the North Island for the very first time. After the service, a woman came to me and she said, I want to meet you because you were a real blessing in my life a couple of years ago. I said, but sister, I've never been to this city before. I've never been to this church before. She said, well, it wasn't here. She said, it was up in Auckland. She said, I was a new believer, and I had recently accepted the Lord, and I went up on a vacation, and I was staying with a family of non-believers that were long-term friends of mine, and I was trying to share my new faith in Christ with them. How many of you have been in that situation, and you know what a challenge it can be? And she said that the family was unresponsive, and the husband, who was an agnostic, was even hostile to her. And she said, I was getting nowhere, and Sunday morning, we got in the car, we're driving down the freeway to have a late breakfast at Denny's Restaurant. All of a sudden, the agnostic man who was driving the car turned off the freeway into the driveway of this very large church that's prominently at the end of the Auckland Harbor Bridge, and he turned to this lady who had been witnessing to him, and he said, I'll tell you what, let's forget about breakfast. Instead, we will go to church. I will listen to whoever this preacher is. 
If I do that, will you leave me alone? Did you know that God can pop an idea into somebody's head, even an agnostic's head? And she said, that was the morning that you were there. And she said, you know, as a new believer, there were so many theological questions my agnostic friend had for me that I didn't know the answers. And she said, you answered most of them in your sermon that morning. And she said, at the end of the service, do you remember a man coming forward to receive Christ? I said, I sure do, because there was only one. And she said, that man was my agnostic friend. I said, sister, I want to thank you. You see, that man had never... That man had never been in church a day in his life until that Sunday. And I said, sister, you've made my day. She said, I'm not finished. She said, the next day, he was on his way to work on the same freeway, coming from the opposite direction. A car had a blowout on a front tire. It swerved across the median, had a head-on collision with his. He was instantly killed and went to be with the Lord the next day. And the only day in that man's life that he was in church was that Sunday. And you know, friends, you can believe that's just coincidence. You can believe it's good luck or chance. But how many believe that God is in control of circumstances in our life in ways that we can't possibly see at the time? I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version because I'm an American. Not really. There's another reason why you'll learn why in a few moments. Paul said, for when one says, verse 4, when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, the first thing I need to explain is that Greek word translated men is not talking about, it's not masculine. It's saying human Aren't you being human? So it's applying to both men and women. He said, when one of you says, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, he's saying, that's human. You see, Paul had planted that church on his second missionary journey, so he was the first pastor, and then he, God led him on to Ephesus, and Apollos became the second pastor. And those who came to the Lord under Paul's ministry would say, I am of Paul. The ones who came to the Lord under Apollos' ministry would say, I am of Apollos. And now, let me stop and ask you, how many of you can think back to when you made your decision to receive Christ to a person, either who witnessed to you one-to-one, -one, like that woman had witnessed to that agnostic man, or to a preacher who preached, such as I preached when he made his decision? How many of you can think of either one or the other of those? Let me see your hand. Now, is that person special to you? And there's nothing wrong with that. He doesn't say it's a bad thing. He said it's a human thing. It's a human thing to have a special place in your heart for the person that God used to bring the gospel to you. But he's, what he's saying is, if that's all you see, you don't understand the nature of how God builds the kingdom. Look in verse 5. The next verse he said, what then is Apollos? Notice he doesn't say who is Apollos. He's not talking about Apollos' identity. He's talking about his function. What is Apollos and what is Paul? What was our function in your life, he's saying? Servants through whom you believed. Notice, not in whom you believe. You don't believe in the person who shares the message of Jesus with you. You believe in Jesus but you believe through the person who brought the message. He said, we are just servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord 
gave opportunity to each one. How many of you know that even before you received Christ, God was at work in the circumstances of your life preparing your heart for the message? Let me see your hands. Here's the good news, folks. Do you know that God is doing that all around this city, all around this county, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, and all over the world, wherever the almost 200 missionaries that Victory Church supports around the world, do you know that God has been there beforehand to prepare their hearts, and he provides the opportunity? Now, the next verse, I'm going to ask Glenn not to put verse 6 on, because that's our real text, and I'm going to quote the first part, and you're going to finish it if you know this verse, okay? I planted, Apollos watered, finish it for me. God made it grow. How many said God made it grow? How many said God gave the increase? God gave it grow or the NIV people? God made the, gave the increase or the King James people? You say, wait a minute, I've got an NIV, and I said God gave the increase. That's because when you first learned that verse, either you or your parents were King James people. Hello? Now, as I told you, I'm a New American Standard person. So go ahead, Glenn, put it up on the screen. I want you to see what it says in the New American Standard version. It's very significant. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing. I just noticed something. See that lady there where the word growth? I took that picture. And you know where she is? She is in Baghdad, Iraq. May I tell you, folks, that that is an incredible place, one of the darkest places in this world, but may I tell you, so many people are coming to Jesus through the ministry of New Life Church, and that's one of those ladies there. I just saw it on the screen. I didn't, first service didn't get that because I didn't notice at first service. Notice, I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. Now, let me explain to you, this is talking about a sequence of time. Now, in my past, among the other ministry involvements I had, I taught in college, and I taught, the subjects I taught were Greek and hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a science of biblical interpretation. Greek, of course, is the language of the New Testament. So I'm going to give you a Greek grammar lesson this morning, all right? Punch the person next to you, say, Greek grammar is exciting. Okay, there are two kinds of tense in Greek. <clears throat> One is called linear. Say linear. The other is called punctiliar. Say punctiliar. Very good. Here's the difference. Punctiliar, something happens at one point in time or for a brief period of time. Linear is an ongoing action. Let me explain the difference. When Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be opened unto you, it is not punctiliar. Those are all linear tenses. He is not saying ask once, seek once, knock once. He is saying keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on not. See the difference? Isn't that important? When Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, he is not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit one time, the first time. After that, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll find after the day of Pentecost, it shows again and again the apostle Peter, and said, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, got up and spoke. Do you know what? He's not saying be filled with the Holy Spirit one time. He's saying, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Just because you spoke in tongues back at kids' camp in 1958 does not mean you're filled with the Spirit today. Hello? 
We are to keep being filled. Now, that's the importance of the distinction between punctiliar and linear. Now, why do I say that? Because in this verse, it is a sequence of time, and I'm going to walk along the platform in this time sequence. On Paul's second missionary journey, he came to Corinth and planted the seed. Now, what's the seed that he planted, folks? The Word, the gospel. So he planted the message. Then God sent him to Ephesus. Apollos came along, and Apollos watered the message that Paul had planted. Then it sounds like after Apollos watered the message, then God made it grow or God gave the increase. That's not what he's saying. Because in Greek, he changes tense. And the first two are punctiliar. He's saying for a certain period of time, a brief period of time, Paul planted the message. Then for another period of time, Apollos wanted the message. But when he changes to God's activity, he changes to a linear tense. That's why the New American Standard said God was causing the growth. And you know when it began? God's work began before Paul planted the seed. He prepared the soil of their hearts for the message. It continued while Paul was working. It continued while Apollos was working. And it continued after Apollos was working. Excuse me, if that doesn't excite you, your exciter's busted. (laughs) Do you know that God gives us the opportunity at points in time to enter into God's linear, eternal work in people's lives? That new believer from New Plymouth, New Zealand, came at a point in time to plant the seed. I came a few days later to water the seed. But how many of you know, all along, God was providing the growth. He was causing the growth. Now, there are three principles I'm going to share with you from this text. And uh, they all start with the letters P.S. Have you ever put a P.S. on a letter or an email? Okay, it's kind of final thought. Oh, postscript, I forgot to say. The P.S. is just for you to remember them. Here is the first principle that you find from this powerful theological test. Number one, the potential is in the soil. The potential's in the soil. Now, potential, you know, means something is capable of happening. There's potential there, but something else has to happen for the potential to be realized, right? And he said, I, what I said there is the potential's in the soil. Now, you know the seed in God's kingdom in the harvest is the word, the message. What is the soil? We learn from Jesus when he explains the parable of the sower, and that is the soil is the heart. The potential's in the heart. While we are having service here, there's another thing going on. It's called Victory Kids. Do any of you have anyone over there in Victory Kids from your family? Let me explain Victory Kids to you. Victory Kids does not exist to get the kids out of your hair so you can have a meaningful worship experience in here. Victory Kids exists for the kids to have a meaningful worship experience in there. Do you know why I say that? May I tell you, and you see, uh, and I was looking at one of the, see, I know so many of the missionaries that are on the video, and, and that young man that you saw before, the Chinese children, brilliant young missionary, 
And you know what? I know that in those kids, listen, I've been all over the world, the potential that's in a kid's heart if the gospel will spring to life and multiply through their life. And in Victory Kids, listen, pray. do you know they're having their own missions conference right now? Do you know that God is dealing with hearts? Some of those kids are going to be missionaries that you're going to support, that the other kids are going to support someday to go to the uttermost parts of the earth to take the gospel, to plant the seed and water the seed. Many years ago in Hong Kong, in the Yuenlong Church, it was a little church of only about 30 people, including all the kids, and the pastor's daughter, who was six years of age, invited a six-year-old boy from her class in the public school, a little Buddhist boy, to come to Sunday school. His name was Billy Lau. Billy Lau came to the Sunday school class, and it just so happened by God's providence, that the lesson was on salvation that day. And it was very important that the first time Billy Lau came to Sunday school, he learned the story of Jesus, and they had a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and the Sunday school teacher explained why Jesus gave his life for our sins. May I tell you, friends, the gospel, salvation isn't easy, but it is incredibly simple. It does not say if you know the four spiritual laws and believe them, you'll be saved. It does not say if you know the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God, you'll be saved. If you know and can quote and believe the Apostles' Creed, which is wonderful, I have it in my phone and I, I read it in my daily devotions every morning. It doesn't say that. It says it this simply, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will they tell them unless they are sent? That's what a faith promise is about that was given to you in your bulletin. It's about sending people with a message to those that can't hear. And you know Billy Lau heard that message. If you know who Jesus is, you know why he gave his life. That's the gospel. And Billy believed on Jesus the first time he heard the gospel. Do you believe the powerful gospel is powerful enough that a little Buddhist boy can receive Jesus the first time he hears it? That's the power of the Holy Spirit giving life to the word. And it was very important Billy received Jesus the first time he came to church. And God knew that. Because when he went home, his Buddhist father beat him for going to the Christian church. But because Billy had had an experience with Jesus, he went back in spite of the beating. And I'll fast forward to tell you that Billy Lau is a friend of mine. He's grown today. And when Billy first told me about how his dad used to beat him when he'd go home from church, I said, Billy, did your dad beat you every Sunday? He said, no, not every Sunday, but most Sundays. Now, can you imagine you're a six-year-old boy, then a seven-year-old boy, then an eight-year-old boy, and you don't know when you're on your way home from church whether you're going to get a beating or not. But he kept going back, and one by one, he brought all six of his brothers and sisters to Sunday school. All six of them received Jesus. When Billy Lau was 16 years of age, his Buddhist mother came to the Yuen Long Church, and she received Jesus. When Billy Lau was 17 years of age, his Buddhist father came to the church, and he received Jesus. Because there's potential, there's potential in the soil of a six-year-old Buddhist's heart. Now, Billy Lau's father is in heaven today. But I've had the privilege of preaching to Billy Lau's mother. 
Not in the Yuen Long Church, in the Yuen Long Kam Kwong Church, which is named after the Yuen Long Church. It literally means the radiance of the Yuen Long Church. And it was built out in the New, in the new territories of Hong Kong, when they ran out of room in the city, they started to build these high-rise apartments out there. There was no Assemblies of God church, and God called a young man named Billy Lau to plant that church in the new territories, and he pastors it today. Glenn, I want you to show that little Hong Kong clip. I want you to see the Wenlong Kem Kwong Church first there in the black jacket and the gray slacks. That's Billy Lau. You'll see him up close there. And I'll wait a moment. This is one of five... Sunday services in the Yuen Long Kem Kwong Church. I'll wait a moment to explain which one this is. This is just the Sunday afternoon high school youth service in the Yuen Long Kem Kwong Church. That is the multiplying power of the gospel because there is potential. How many believe there's potential in the soil of a six-year-old Buddhist boy's heart? The second principle, take me a little more time, the power is in the seed. Now, we need to understand this as Pentecostal people because we can quote Acts 1-8 in our sleep. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses. How many know the Spirit empowers us to declare the message? But listen carefully. The Word of God is clear. The primary power in evangelism is not in the messenger. The primary power is in the message. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, not because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If the power is in the gospel, watch out. That means none of us has any excuse not to share it. Because if the primary power in the message, it doesn't depend on how winsome our personality is, how high our IQ is, how persuasive we are, how educated we are. Are you with me? And you know that one of the greatest examples of this, of the power being in the message, I told this number of years ago, uh, here on a Sunday night, I'm pretty sure it was, but how many of you are 50 or older? And you don't remember it anyway, so I'm going to tell it, and some of the young people weren't here then anyway, okay? But I was preaching a conference over in Malang, Indonesia for three, uh, three days, and then I flew to Jakarta, Indonesia, and I preached Sunday morning in three morning services in a church of about 4,000. Then I was go to the airport, get on a plane, fly to Singapore to preach the evening service in a congregation of about 5,000. That, by the way, last year, that church in Singapore, and they have a lower per capita income than you do here in Florida. They gave that, those people last year more than $8.5 million to missions. The average giving of a person in that church, Victory Family Center, also named Victory, by the way, and the average giving between their tithes, building fund pledges, and their missions faith promises averages 55% of each of their personal income. Anyway, that's a busy day. Three morning services in Jakarta, an evening service in Singapore, a flight in between. The missionary was supposed to take me to the airport, and he came to me after the third service said, I can't take you to the airport. I said, got to get to the airport. I'm preaching in Singapore tonight. He said, well, someone else is asked to take you to the airport. I said, well, who is asked? He said, well, he, I said, why does he want to take me? He said, I don't know, but he insists he must take you. 
I said, what does he do? He said, he's a taxi driver. I said, that's it. It's 25 bucks to the airport. He said, no, he is a member of our congregation. He promises this is a free ride. I was a little suspicious. I said, I don't know what this ride is. I promise you, it's not free. Whoever this is wants something. But I said, okay, I'll go along with it. What's his name? His name is David Hardy Kadarusman. So I went out and was introduced to David Hardy Kadarusman. He was standing by his little yellow and red Japanese taxi, grinning from ear to ear, but he didn't say anything. David did not talk. David did not walk. He hopped everywhere. He hopped over like this and got my luggage and hopped around the back, put it in the trunk. Now you're going to think I'm doing everything backwards. But in Indonesia, the steering wheel is on the right-hand side. Okay, so he hops around, opens the front door, not the back door, which a taxi driver normally does. That's fine. I'm happy to ride in the front seat, but I can't get my feet on the floor because there's a cardboard box on the floor. It says TDK. So my feet are up on this TDK box. David runs around, jumps behind the wheel, floors it, laying rubber on both rear tires, swerves out on Jakarta traffic. Then he turns and finally talks to me. This is the very, very first thing David Hardy Kadarusman ever said to me. We must talk fast. We only have 45 minutes. I said, we must talk fast for 45 minutes? What do you want to talk fast about for 45 minutes? I must tell you my testimony. I thought, oh, at least he's going to be doing the talking. I said, David, tell me your testimony. I love to hear anyone's testimony, don't you? He said, I bulldozer mechanic. I thought, that's it. He wants me to get him a job at Caterpillar in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> he said, but I make missions faith promise. Hello, did you know America's not the only place where people make missions faith promises? They do it all over the world. And they had had a missions conference a few months before in that church where David attended. David made his first missions faith promise. He said, Jesus, tell me how much to pledge. Let me stop and ask you, how many of you the Lord has given you direction about how much you should make your faith promise for? Okay, he, he said, and then he told, he said, Jesus, tell me how much to pledge. Then he told me the amount of his faith promise. It was equivalent in Indonesian rupiah at the time of more than 3,000 U.S. dollars for the year. That is half a year's income for an Indonesian bulldozer mechanic. I said, David, that's a lot of money. He said, that's what I tell Jesus. Jesus, this is a lot of money. <laughs> I said, did the Lord give you any direction? He tell me, quit my job. I thought it was time for a little teaching. I said, David, when you have made a faith promise, is not the time to quit your job. No, Jesus tell me I must have new job. I must become evangelist. Now, every word I'm telling you is true. I said, David, if you think being an evangelist is a way to make a lot of money, you have been watching too much television. I said, do you understand an evangelist? I have been an evangelist. An evangelist is only paid when he preaches. So at Christmas, he gets no pay. You know why? Churches don't have evangelists at Christmas. The choir sings, okay? At Easter, they don't, evangelists don't get paid. The choir sings. At every Eastern Christmas, all the evangelist children go hungry because of the choir. <laughs> Not really. And I, said, and I said, if an evangelist is sick, he gets no pay. If he is on vacation, no pay. I paid all the time. I thought it was time for him to give me a little teaching. I said, how are you paid all the time? He said, I taxi evangelist. I said, taxi evangelist. I've never heard of this before. Explain that to me. He said, everyone who get into my taxi, I do evangelism. They all pay me. <laughs> I said, David, that's brilliant. He said, only one problem. 
When Jesus called me to be taxi evangelist, I have no car. Well, that's a problem, right? But I'm riding in it. So I said, well, how did you get this car? I prayed to Jesus. Jesus promised he will give me car. I said, okay, well, how did he give you this car? David went to say goodbye to the only other Christian in the heavy equipment company in, in, that sold and serviced bulldozers. And he's, David's a lowly mechanic in the service department. The only other Christian in the company was the executive vice president, a wealthy Chinese man, an Anglican brother. David went to tell him God had called him to be a taxi driver, and he knew David. He said, David, you have no car. He said, I pray to Jesus. Jesus promised he will give me a car. Now, this Anglican businessman is born again, but he is not Pentecostal. He is not charismatic. He said, David, Jesus does not give cars to people. No, Jesus promised he will give me a car. He said, David, Jesus does not just give cars to people. How much will your taxi cost? David had done research. He said, 31,200,000 rupiah. That was equivalent in Indonesian money at that time of about 28,000 U.S. dollars for the cheapest compact Japanese car. They don't manufacture automobiles in Indonesia. They're all imported from Japan. They have shipping, high duty. The man took out pulled out the drawer of his desk, pulled out a checkbook, wrote out a check to David Hardy Kadarusman for 32 million rupiah, enough to pay for the taxi and the license. Are you ready? Because he didn't believe Jesus gives cars to people. Now, you know what I'm thinking, Pastor Blackburn? I'm thinking I've got a new faith promise testimony. Well, I'm thinking I got a new faith promise testimony David reaches into the glove compartment of his car, and he pulls out about the size of a portable cassette tape recorder. This is a few years back, okay? Remember cassettes? What's the box on my feet got on it? TDK. He reaches in the TDK box, pulls out a brand-new TDK cassette tape, takes the cellophane off, takes the tape out, takes, puts it in the recorder, puts it on record, puts it on pause, hands this cassette tape recorder to me. I said, what is this for, David? He said, I need three salvation sermon. One 10-minute, one 15-minute, one 20-minute. We have 45-minute, just enough time. I said, what are you talking about? Listen carefully. He said, I just an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. Hello? Did you know you don't have to be a preacher to be an evangelist? An evangelist, by biblical definition, is someone who gets the gospel to someone who needs to hear it. Whether you do it through witnessing, through preaching, or through making a faith promise, it's about getting the gospel to people, and you can be an evangelist. And I said, why do you need three salvation sermons? He said, he said some taxi rides 10 minutes, some 15 minutes, some 20 minutes. First question I ask, what language do you speak? If they say Mandarin, I take Mandarin tape. Now, I pointed the dashboard. I noticed I couldn't see the road because there's a rack of cassette tapes on the, platform, on the, on the uh, dashboard. I assumed they were music tapes, wouldn't you? And I found out, no, they are all salvation sermons in different languages. These are the ones, the name of the language is on each box. These are the ones I remember, and there were more than this. Mandarin, Cantonese, Hindustani, Tamil, Bahasa, Malay, Arabic, Russian. David has schnookered all these preachers to give them rides to airports, gets them to preach on a tape so that he has a gospel sermon in the language of whoever gets into his taxi. That's a taxi evangelist. He said, I don't have tape in English. 
I don't have tape in English. God has sent you for my ministry today. I said, why do you need three? He said, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I said, look, I said, you don't need to fill the whole taxi ride with preaching. One sermon, 10 minutes will work for all taxi rides. Okay, okay, one sermon, 10 minutes. I said, I will take this tape back to America. I will record 10 minutes salvation sermon. I will airmail the missionary, and he will give to you. No, I need today. I said, David, listen to me. I said, I just preached three times. I have had no lunch. I'm very tired. My brain is tired. I decided to reason with him. I said, you do understand, David, sermons require study and preparation. He smiled. He said, ha-ha, I Pentecostal. I pray for anointing of the Holy Spirit for you. I said, I said, David, the anointing is great, but you have to have something to anoint. That is called a message. Then I thought, hey, what's the problem here? Somebody broke a promise to this guy, some British guy, some Australian they said they were in a cinema tape and didn't do it, right? I said, David, I think you not trust me. Started talking like him after a while. I said, I understand. You do not know I keep my promises. But you know the missionary, yes. If he makes a promise to you, do you trust him? Yes. I said, well, he has known many, many years. He trusts me. So if I promise you I'll send you the tape and you trust the missionary and the missionary trusts me, then you can trust me. I will keep my promise. I will send you the tape. No. I confess, at this point, I'm getting a little irritated. I said, David, you are not my boss. You have no right to tell me when I am going to preach. He said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Someone who speaks English. Get into my taxi tomorrow. They go to hell because you're not obedient to God. <laughs> I said, all right, David, give me the tape. I said, look, we got... 30 minutes at the airport, there's a 10-minute sermon. I must have time to meditate. Okay, okay. I close my eyes. I'm meditating on this 10-minute salvation sermon I'm going to preach. I'm hearing David's making noises over here, and I'm not paying much attention until I feel something on my right knee. I open my right eye. David's left hand is on my right knee. I look over now. David is praying in tongues. Every word I'm telling you is true. I look at the speedometer. We're now on the freeway, head of the airport, 70 miles per hour. David is praying in tongues with one hand on the wheel, 70 miles per hour, and his eyes closed. <laughs> I promise you. I said, David. He said, what? I said, what are you doing? I pray for anointing for you. I said, I know you're praying for the anointing. Your eyes are closed. He said, I pray better with eyes closed. I said, David, you drive better with eyes open. He said, oh, not to worry. I open once in a while. I said, David, at 70, once in a while is not good enough. Stop. He said, stop driving. I said, no, stop praying. He said, why? I said, because I have the anointing. Trust me. He stopped praying. I stopped meditating. <clears throat> I just turned on the tape recorder and went for it. I said, I am talking to you at the request of your taxi driver <laughs> who wants you to know why Jesus Christ is the most important person in his life. And in about 10 minutes, I just shared the gospel. You say, what's the gospel? We have four in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What is the essence of the gospels? It is Jesus his virgin birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his ascension, his bodily resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his promise to return for all of his followers. That is the gospel. And you say, how can you, in 10 minutes, just telling people 
who Jesus is and why he gave his life. How can you convince someone to become a Christian? I can't in 10 minutes. I can't in 10 hours. It's not my job and it's not your job to convince anybody to become a Christian. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We just plant the seed water the seed and God is the one who's causing the growth when I told her the resurrection I said Jesus is God he is everywhere he sees you in this taxi if you will pray to him he will forgive your sin he will give you a new life an everlasting life it is your prayer he wants to hear but if it will help you I will lead you in a prayer and I led in a sinner's prayer with pauses they could repeat But listen to me, friends. Don't ever say to someone, repeating a prayer will save them because it won't. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You ensure that person understands the decision they're making and means the prayer from their heart. And I said, I will try to put into words what I think you will want to say because it is your prayer, and you must mean it from your heart. And after I led in a prayer, I said, if you prayed this prayer and you meant it from your heart, God has forgiven you and is giving you a new life, an everlasting life. And if you prayed this prayer, I have one request. Please tell your taxi driver. If you live in Jakarta, he will tell you how you can find a church. How do you explain a church in Indonesia, in the largest Muslim country in the world? It's not a building like a mosque is a mosque. It's not a denomination, the assemblies of God. Victory Church is the people of God who come to the building. It is a spiritual family. And I said, you need a spiritual family of others who are following Christ, like you had a a physical family that you were born into. And I turned it off. I said, David, there's your sermon. I said, have people received Christ in your taxi? Many times, he said. We still had 20 minutes to the airport. I said, tell me about some of them. He told me several testimonies. One I'll never forget. On a rainy day, a businessman under an umbrella flagged down David's taxi, asked David to take him to the Jakarta Harbor Bridge, didn't tell him why until later. David put in the sermon tape. The man prayed a prayer before he got to the bridge to receive Jesus. And he said, David, to the taxi driver, he said, do not take me to the bridge. He gave him another address. When he got there, he tried to give David many times the normal taxi fare. David said, I cannot accept this. Why you offer me so much money? The man said, you do not understand. You saved my life today. His business was bankrupt. He and his wife had never been able to have children. When he lost his income, his wife left him, told him she was divorcing him. He was losing his home. He went into depression, decided life wasn't worth living, that he would go to the harbor bridge and jump off and take his life. But he got into a taxi driven by a Holy Ghost-filled, charismaniac taxi driver. And before he got to the bridge, the man received Jesus. And that businessman was sitting in the second service that I preached that morning because the power is in the message. Whether you are a taxi driver or a housewife or a college student. Now, that was a number of years ago. A few years after that, I went back. Same missionary is going to pick me up at the airport. 
I said, if it's okay with you on overseas call, I said, I'd like someone else to pick me up at the airport. He said, who do you want to pick you up at the airport? I said, can you get a hold of David Hardy Kavarusman? He said, the taxi driver. I saw him in church last Sunday. I'll get a hold of him. Missionary called me back two days later, said, David's going to pick you up at the airport. I got through immigration and customs, and out by the curb was that same yellow and red Japanese taxi that that Anglican businessman had given to him because he didn't believe Jesus gives cars to people. And when I got in the taxi the second trip, I had a camera with me, a video camera. I want you to meet my friend David Hardy Kadarisman. Glenn, would you show that taxi clip? First, you'll see out the front window Jakarta traffic headed into Jakarta from the airport. And then in a moment, you'll see David behind the wheel. We talked about a lot of there's Jakarta traffic and there's David. We talked about a lot of things. And one, I said, you know, David, when I was here last time, you told me about a businessman who was, got in your taxi, he was going to commit suicide, jumping off the bridge. Bridge, yes, I remember. I said, is he still serving the Lord? David said, he a pastor now. I said, he's a pastor now? He said, he a pastor now. Then he hit me, I said, David, is anyone else who received Christ in your taxi gone in the ministry? Oh, yes, he said. He told me about two others. At the time I took this video, there were three Assemblies of God pastors in Jakarta, Indonesia. Together, their congregations comprised more than a thousand people back then. Almost none of those people knew Jesus till those three men were called into the ministry. All three of them met Jesus in David Hardy Kadrusman's taxi because the power is in the message. Whoever will plant it and water it is going to see a harvest because God's the one that causes the growth. And lastly, remember the potentials in soil the power's in the seed, and the privilege is the sower's. The privilege. You see, at points in time, God gives us the privilege of entering into his linear, eternal work in this world. When I was sitting down in that pew there, every time before I share the word, every time before I share the word, I have two personal practices. One is I always pray in the Spirit because I know no matter what I share, if the Holy Spirit doesn't open people's heart and illumine their mind to the truth, it's not going to happen. And the second thing is I always thank God and I use the word privilege. I say, God, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word at Victory Church this morning. Because you see, I know I don't deserve to do it. It's a privilege. It's not an honor because I'm not being honored to preach the word. It's a privilege God has given me. And when we get to enter into God's work in people's lives by planting the seed and watering the seed, it's a privilege. And it's not just through preaching or witnessing. It's through making a faith promise. You see, I believe a faith promise is a privilege because you get to take part in what God is doing all over the world through the ministry of Victory Church. And a faith promise, listen to me, yes, you need to fill out the card because, you see, pastor has all kinds of new missionaries that are needing support, but he can't make commitments to them unless he knows what you are going to give. But make no mistake about it, this is not a decision, a, a faith promise is not between you and Pastor Blackburn. It's not between you and Victory Church. It's between you and God. It is a very personal, sacred thing. Now, you know that video that I, we just showed you of David? If you notice, it had no sound. 
That's, if you would have had sound, you'd have heard squeaks and rattles because at the time I was there and took that video, his taxi had almost 300,000 kilometers on it. It rattled, it squeaked, the springs were shot, the shocks were shot. And you know, when I got back to the United States, I couldn't get that squeaky, rattly taxi out of my head. And in 2 Corinthians 9, about faith giving, Paul says this, let each do as he has purposed in his heart. And in my heart, I didn't see a vision, I did not hear a voice. I said, God, it's in my heart. I don't know how long David's taxi is going to last, and I want to help him get a new taxi. But I don't have $28,000. But if you'll supply me some extra income, I'll save it up until I can help him get a new taxi. Let me tell you a little principle, folks. God will always give more through you than he will give to you. One Sunday after that, after I made my faith promise, by the way, it was my wife and I make our faith promise together at Central Assembly, my home church. This was not our faith promise. This was my faith promise. It was between me and God. She didn't even know about the taxi faith promise. The next Sunday, no one knew. I told nobody. The next Sunday, I was preaching for a friend of Pastor Blackburn's and mine in Bowie, Maryland, and he called me on Tuesday. He said, Randy, a businessman in our church put a $1,000 check in the offering, and he said it's for you, and you'll know what it's for. That was the first $1,000. Then someone had given me $50 or $100, and I'd put it in that savings account that was labeled Indonesia Taxi. And the last money, I was in Mustang, Oklahoma, preaching for another pastor, friend of Pastor Blackburn's, Jim McNabb. We were sitting on the front row between the first and second service. A man came and whispered in the ear of the pastor, and Jim said to me, Randy, this man owns a funeral home, and he said God spoke to him to give $1,000 for whatever it is you need it for. That was my last $1,000. And I've got another video to show you of David and his new blue Toyota taxi. You're going to hear David talk this time. You'll find his hair is grayer. There's some years between this, okay? All right? And you won't see this, but he had orthodontal work made, done in the process, too. Anyway, you'll hear David talk this time. I really praise the Lord for uh, the new taxi. Uh, the Lord uh, provide for me through the effort of my brother Randy Hurst. Uh, I, I cannot do a lot, but I can pray to the Lord to bless you all, each of you. God Bless you in return abundantly. Thank you. Now, I've been back since then. I've been back. It may surprise you. I never have to pay for a taxi ride in Jakarta, Indonesia. And last time I was there, David told me his other taxi had half a million kilometers on it. See, he didn't know about my faith promise. And he was driving through Jakarta, and it just quit. It wouldn't run anymore. They towed it away to the shop. They said it was going to be more than 10,000 U.S. dollars in our money to replace the engine, the transmission, the drivetrain, the shocks, everything. David had no money. He went home to his wife, beautiful wife, Lena. He said, I have no taxi. I have no money. The bank will not loan me money. I must stop this taxi ministry. Lena reached over, took his hand. She said, let us pray for a miracle. 
Two days later, that blue Toyota taxi arrived from Japan. You say, how long did it take you to get the money? Five and a half years. And it just happens to arrive two days after his quits. Now, you can say that's good luck. You can say that's coincidence. You can say that's chance. Or you can believe that God is running his mission in the world, and when he speaks to our hearts, just do it. Just obey, because God is orchestrating us all together, just like it was not just me, and it was not just this woman in, in New Zealand. He used us together. Do you know that he uses all of us together? And I told pastor, I didn't have time in the first service. This was just coincidence. But we were doing a study of our relief funds in world missions. And I compiled all the relief offerings from all the 13,000 Assemblies of God churches in America of the last five years. And it was all in there. And I sorted it from largest to smallest. And number one on the list was Victory Church in Lakeland, Florida. Number one in the nation. And you know what? That only happens because of each of you being obedient to give when pastor gives you the opportunity. As pastor comes, let me just pray for you. Take your faith promise card in your hand. God, I pray. God, speak like you did to David, like you did to me. Lord Jesus, and someone may say, like David, Jesus, that a lot of money. But God, I pray that the faith that comes by hearing your word will well up in hearts, activate faith to obey, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that, that when we do, I believe with all my heart, this, the cause of reaching the lost with the gospel, is the cause that matters most to the heart of our Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Isn't the Lord good? You know, it's amazing, all the stories. All the stories that we have heard last Sunday morning, Sunday night, this morning, Randy Hurst will be back tonight, were all stories that were a result of someone being obedient to God. And no matter where you are, whether it's Indonesia, whether it's in uh, Italy, wherever, when people take a step of faith. So you have the card uh, in the bulletin there. You just If you forgot yours, well, we have one in the bulletin. We sent you one. And this is what it looks like. On the back, if you choose to give by credit card, uh, there's the data to do that. You can give online. Let me say this before I just go a step further because I feel a check here. We're going to bring the cards to the altar. And uh, usually we do that and we just leave. And this morning in my prayer time, the Holy Spirit checked me on that. And this is what he said, I believe. He said, I want to bring the cards. I want to lay it on the altar, which is where sacrifices traditionally in the Old Testament. You laid that on the altar. Um, and you're going to go back to your seat and we're going to, after everyone has come, then I'm going to pray. God said, I want you to pray a prayer of favor on the sacrifices. I want you to pray over them. 
So when you bring it, I'm going to ask you to slip back to your seat, not head for the door uh, and, and leave. Because listen, this is critical to some of you. This is the answer to some of your prayers. This is the key to some of your miracles. I believe it with all of my heart. So if you take the card and you say, right, here it is, 2019 Mission Faith Promise, weekly. If you put your weekly amount or you put your monthly amount, whatever it is, Sharon and I give to the program. We, we make a check every month to the missions program. And then we also, we give a one-time offering, and that is now, and that's right there. And we, we give that for the support of the missions conference and to get things moving. And that, that, that uh, money, the one-time offering, uh, if you don't have it today, is due December the 9th, okay? So you got several weeks to do it. You can do it, you know, put it in to say my Faith Promise Missions one-time offering. The Faith Promises start in January of 2019 and go to the end. So we're still in 2018 now, and that's when it starts. Listen, I, I believe because out of, um, out of everything that we do, uh, you hear us talking about giving to Salvation Army, ring the bell. You hear us talking about one day to feed the world. Do this. Listen carefully, friend. I am an absolute firm believer that no matter what I say, we're only going to reach, according to statistics, I mean reach about 20 to 25% of you who's really going to make a sacrificial commitment. That means 75% of you you heard it, you just didn't feel, hmm. So the point is, if it's 20%, it takes five different opportunities to reach 100%. Because some of you, all of us ought to be moved by this. This is why my grandkids are serving the Lord today. I believe that. This right here is why I've received such favor from you. That's why I get so many prayers if I'm not well, my eye or whatever the case, and thank God I'm coming, is because, hey, favor that God has given. So I'm going to ask you to bring your card down. You may say, well, what if I'm not, what if I'm not ready to make a commitment? Well, let God speak to you if that's okay. As, as David wrestled with Randy about his message, Randy said, I'll send you one. If you can convince God that's what you need to do, go ahead. It's all about God. So go ahead and take that step of faith, and let's do it. I'm going to ask you all to stand. We're going to sing. You bring the faith promise cards down here. Go back to your seat. I'm going to pray that prayer. Please do not leave until the benediction. Here we go, everybody.
Amen. Would you stretch your hands in this direction? Heavenly Father, as the priest offered prayer, favor, blessing over the people, you have given me an opportunity to pray over this wonderful congregation and the thousands who listen online. Today is a day that we declared our faith. We declared our sacrifice. God, we know that you often reward us according to the depth of our sacrifice. And so we know and we believe that on this altar right now are cards of individuals. They have no idea where that money's gonna come from. Just as Randy, when he made the commitment to buy the new taxi, he had no idea, but God, you did. And God, as he mentioned in the beginning of the message, that often we think that what we do will turn a heart around. But here's what we've learned, and we know this, that someone can be a stone cold in their heart or have a will that is resistant. But God, if you have a desire to turn them around, you plant a seed, and you make what your will is come to pass if we continue to sacrifice and pray, and we believe that today. Now, I pray for miracles. I pray for favor. I pray for the anointing of God to do whatever it is you need to do to bring to pass these faith promises. We'll give you the praise and the honor in Christ's name. Amen. Please, don't forget tonight, Randy will be here. You're going to hear some phenomenal information. Plan to be here. Don't forget, get out there, get your plate, do a bake sale, etc. See if you can come up with something decent. Turn to your neighbors you leave and say it's time to go home. God bless.